Okay, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of Bible History Project. We are so happy that you are joining us this evening. Uh, today's topic is about three areas of ministry based on the life of Abraham as depicted in Genesis chapter 18. Before we go ahead and proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much for gathering your people together to again study your holy words and commands. It is indeed our great joy and privilege to have this opportunity to commune with you, fellowship with fellow believers, as we study your commands together. Please help us to ready our minds, open our hearts to receive with gladness and joy the teachings that will set us free and lead us to life everlasting. Amen. We ask, O oh Father, to please be merciful upon all of us, yes. forgive us completely our sins, yes. and make us worthy before you again. Amen. We ask and beg everything, O oh Father, in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right, again, thank you so much for attending our Bible History Project. What we're going to talk about today are three areas of ministry. Now, when we say ministry, that represents work of service activities that we need to focus in. As, very, as, as a very small remnant, God left when he saw that the daughter of Zion became like Sodom and Gomorrah. We have work to do. There are three areas of ministry that we, we need to focus on so that we can be prepared for the great day of our salvation. And this is what we will uncover in our study of Genesis chapter 18 and the verses 1. Are you ready, brothers and sisters in the faith? Yes. Let's go ahead and open Genesis chapter 18, 1 down to 2. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Memre. One day Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. Here the Lord appeared again to Abraham. If you have been studying the Bible together with us over the past couple of months, or the past couple of weeks, I should say, we know from time past, Abraham had conversations with God, right? There were several occasions when the Lord God, the El Shaddai, appeared to Abraham. Here's a question I want to pose to all of you. When Abraham saw God, when God appeared to Abraham, I wonder how God appeared or looked like to Abraham. Have you ever asked that question before? Because in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, the Bible says the Lord appeared to Abraham. I wonder how the Lord looked like in the eyes of Abraham. When the Bible speaks of God making an appearance before human beings, we know when he makes a visible appearance, it does not represent his real nature. What is the true nature of God? He is spirit. What does it mean that he is spirit? He has no flesh. He has no bones. He is invisible when it comes to his physical nature. However, from time to time, God manifests himself in a visible way as he communicates and fellowships with his People. What do we call this kind of transformation? Let's read. Uh, next slide. It's called a theophany. Have you heard that before? Theophany. What is a theophany? It is a temporary visible manifestation of the presence and glory of 
God. So when God appears to individuals like the prophets, like to Moses, of course, he is spirit. However, he makes himself temporarily visible and it's a manifestation of his presence and the glory of God. What are examples of theophanies in the Holy Scripture? Next slide, Exodus 19, 16 to 17. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, lightning, a thick cloud appeared on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast was heard. All the people in the camp trembled with fear. Moses led them out of the camp to meet who? God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. So the people of God, through the leadership of Moses, they're going to meet God. How did God manifest himself in a visible way? By means of thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, and a very loud trumpet blast. It's called a theophany. What else is an example of a theophany? Let's read Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 4. That dazzling light of the Lord's presence rose up from the creatures and moved to the entrance of the temple. Then the cloud filled the temple, and the courtyard was blazing with light. In how else does God manifest his presence in a visible manifestation? By means of a dazzling light or a blazing light. How else are theophanies expressed in scripture? Let's, leave, let's read Exodus 13, 21 to 22. During the day, the Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud to show them the way. And during the night, he went in front of them in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel night and day. The pillar of cloud was always in front of the people during the day and the pillar of fire at night. And so God himself led the people of Israel throughout the wilderness after the exodus. How was God manifested visibly to the people of God? Because after all, how will the people know that they were following God? God manifested himself as what? A pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. How also did God manifest himself? Exodus 24, 9 to 10. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abayu, and 70 of the leaders of Israel went up to the mountain. And they saw, they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was what looked like a pavement of sapphire as blue as the sky. Precious jewels also represented the glory and the splendor of God and his throne. How about to the prophet Isaiah? How did God manifest himself to him? Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 2. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on his throne high and exalted, and his robe filled the whole temple. Around him flaming creatures were standing, each of which had six wings. Each creature covered its face with two wings, and its body with two, and used the other two for flying. How did God manifest himself to the prophet Isaiah? Bible says he was shown to Isaiah as one sitting on a throne, high and exalted, wearing a robe that filled the whole temple. One of the most unique ones is Job. Job 38, 1 down to 2. Then out of the storm, the Lord spoke to Job. And so God manifested himself in a storm. Here's a strange one with Moses, uh, with, with Elijah, rather. First Kings 19, 11 down to 13. 
God said, go out and stand in front of the Lord on the mountain. So in front of the Lord on the mountain, as the Lord was passing by, a fierce wind tore mountains and shattered rocks ahead of the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind came an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a quiet, whispering voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? We know God was very close to the prophet Elijah. And God appeared to him, manifested as a fierce wind, an earthquake, a fire, and most precious of all, as a whispering voice. But we know God was even closer to Moses, right? God was uh, very, very connected to Moses. And so how did he also manifest himself to Moses? Exodus 33, 18 to 23. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. The Lord said, I will let all my goodness pass in front of you. And there I will call out my name, the Lord. I will be kind to anyone I want to. I will be merciful to anyone I want to. But you can't see my face because no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, look, there's a place near me. Stand by the rocky cliff. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice in the cliff and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you'll see, what does it say? My back, but my face you must not, must not be seen. Very interesting. Moses got to see the back of our almighty God. Of course, it's a manifestation of the glory of God. So those are examples of theophanies, ways by which God manifests his presence and his glory before human beings. And so when God appeared to Abraham, I wonder how he looked like. Was he an earthquake, a storm, a pillar of light, fire? Do you want to know how he appeared to Abraham? You're going to find this interesting. Genesis chapter 18, 1 to 2. The Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. When God appeared to Abraham, how did he manifest himself? As a human being, a temporary manifestation as a human being, a man. But he had two others with him, two other men. These are angels. And so when angels manifest themselves in a visible way to human beings, what do we call that? Next slide. Call that an angel ophany. What is a temp what is a theophany? It's when God makes a visible manifestation of his presence and glory. What's an angel ophany? When an angel begins to interact with human beings. Throughout scripture, we have instances of angel ophanies. Like when? Let's read the book of Judges 6, 19 and 22. So Gideon went into his house 
and cooked a young goat and used a bushel of flour to make bread without any yeast. He put the meat in a basket and broth in a pot, brought them to the Lord's angel under the oak tree and gave them to him. The angel told him, put the meat and the bread on this rock and pour the broth over them. Gideon did so. And the Lord's angel reached out and touched the meat and the bread with the end of the stick he was holding. Fire came out of the rock and burned up the meat and the bread. Then the angel, take note, what happened? Disappeared. Gideon then realized that it was the Lord's angel he had seen. And he said in terror, Sovereign Lord, I have seen your angel face to face. So here's Gideon. He was interacting with an angel, and he did not know it was an angel. It was an angel of an The angel manifested himself as a human being. When did Gideon begin to realize that what he was speaking to and interacting with was, in fact, an angel? When the angel disappeared, right? Out of thin air, perhaps, because he also did a miracle. Fire came out of the rock and burned up the meat. And then the angel disappears. And so angels often interact with people manifesting themselves as human beings. Called angel ophanes. And so do angels still manifest themselves in the Christian era? Because Gideon was in the Old Testament. What do you think? In the New Testament, during the Christian era, does God also send out angels manifested as human beings? Let's find out. The book of Hebrews 13, 1 to 2. Keep on loving one another as Christians. Remember to welcome strangers in your homes. There were some who did, who did that and welcomed angels without knowing it because they can manifest themselves to look exactly like one of us as human beings. That's why if you see like a homeless person outside, do not make fun of people who are homeless. Help them out, right? Welcome strangers to your place. Why? It could be a test. Who knows? Maybe you are ministering to. Maybe you are helping an angel without even Knowing it, you know, what God assigns angels to do, even in the Christian era, and maybe I should say, especially in the Christian era, let's read Hebrews 1 and 14. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Does God use angels even today? Yes. What is the purpose of angels? They are servants. They are spirits who are sent to care for God's people. This is why you've probably heard stories, personal accounts, right, of people talking about individuals who, who help them, and then when they look back, they're gone. Have you ever had an experience like that? Over the years, I have a lot of stories of members of the Church of Christ who were helped by angels without even knowing it until it happened. I don't know. You be the judge. This happened to me. This is a true story. Is that okay? If I share a true story? This is about 2003. I was assigned in San Pablo. 
I was also recently given the local congregation of Santa, Torosa, uh, San, Santa Rosa uh, to take care of. And so it was a worship service. And so I take my van, my family in the van, and we drive to Santa Rosa because Brother Richard Rodas was going to go there. And he was going to officiate the worship service because I was being assigned to oversee Santa Rosa. I better be there. I was assigned to officiate there together with him. Okay. So I was a little bit nervous. And so we're driving on the way to Santa Rosa. Guess what? I get a flat tire. I had no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how to fix a flat tire. I did not even know I had a spare tire. And so when I had that flat tire on the way, on the freeway, okay, on the freeway, I had a flat, flat tire. I mean, I resigned to the fact I'm going to be suspended. There's no way I'm going to make it on time for the worship service. I have a flat tire. I don't know how to fix a car. Out of the blue, from nowhere, there was a man. And he, he talks to me and goes, okay, let me, I'm going to fix your tire. He said, I, I don't think I have a spare tire. He knows where the spare tire was. And so he took the spare tire and he fixed my tire. And then we were set to go. And I looked around, he was gone. And so I was able to make it to Santa Rosa on time. I don't know if you have stories like that. But there are times when out of the blue, individuals go to you and help you out. Those are spirits called angels that God sends out to take care of his people who will inherit salvation. Is that an angelophony? Could be. Am I certain? Not 100% certain, but I have faith it was an angelophony. And so I am thankful to our almighty God. So we have a theophany and an angelophany uh, with uh, Abraham. So what did Abraham do in response? Genesis 18, 1 to 2, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. It makes sense that Abraham would run to meet them and welcome them. And bow low to the ground. Why? Because he recognized God. Because this was not the first time God appeared to Abraham. And so what was the response of Abraham to the Lord God? Take note, he showed his reverence. How? He ran to meet them. He did not let God wait for him. He ran to meet them. What else? He bowed low to the ground. He showed his humility and reverence, holy respect and awe for our almighty God. This is why one area of ministry that we need to focus on, because this is what we can see in the life of Abraham, is what? Next slide, please. It is worshiping and serving God. We should not postpone true Worship. How can we show that we are focused on worshiping and serving God? Let's read the book of John, chapter 4, verse 23. But the time is coming indeed. It's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. When God appeared to Abraham in His tent, God was looking for Abraham, right? Is God also looking for us today? Yeah. When? When we have 
worship service. Bible says the Father, God, is looking for those who will worship Him that way. And so we should, we should not be late, right? We should be prompt. We should run to the place of worship with the expectation of being with our God. And let us, let us show reverence before our almighty God. How else did Abraham show his reverence before God as he, struck, he, he did his best to worship and serve him? Let's read Genesis 18, 3-5. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet and since you've honored your servant with this visit let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey all right they said do as you have said and so abraham was very fortunate you know why because when he had these three visitors what did he do he offered his services to them how so he said rest in the shade i'm going to get some water and wash your feet what does that represent? It represents service. It represents work towards the benefit of your master. And so he wanted to serve the Lord God. Not only that, though, the Bible says, all right, the Lord said, do as you have said. In other words, God accepted his service. And to Abraham, this was a big, a big honor. And so he gave he prepared some food to refresh the Lord and his companions. How else did Abraham manifest his service to God? Genesis 18, 6 to 8. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, Hurry, get three large measures of your best flour. Knead it into dough and bake some bread. Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant, who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and roasted meat, and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. How else did Abraham offer his services to God? He got three large measures of his best flour. He quickly prepared food, and he waited on them in the shade of the trees. We, too, should be willing to sacrifice. To serve our Lord God. In fact, what does God expect from His people even in these last days? Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. It says, honor, not dishonor, right? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then He will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Bible says, we should honor the Lord with our wealth. This is why we give offering to God for the purpose of honoring our almighty God. What is God's uh, plan? What does he want from us so that we can honor him with our offering? We give the best part. In other words, we prepare. Our, our offering should be a sacrifice to our almighty God. If we do this, the Bible says God will bless us and fill our barns with grain and the vats will overflow with good wine. That is a symbol of prosperity. God will prosper and bless each one of us. So Abraham was in the middle of serving and worshiping God. And as he was worshiping and serving God, there was a big announcement. Good news. What was that good news? Let's read Genesis 18, 9 to 12. 
Where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year. And your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Finally, there's a time frame now for the promised son, right? He's been waiting 25 years. And so here's God with the good news, with an announcement about next, uh, this time next year you're going to have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. What do we call that? <laughs> she was eavesdropping. <laughs> well, I mean, I would eavesdrop too, right? I mean, if you're having a conversation with God and two angels, you kind of want to hear what they're talking about, right? And so while, he, while she was eavesdropping, God tells Abraham that Sarah's going to have what? A son. And so what was the reaction of Sarah? Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah were both very old by this time, right? Abraham was 99, Sarah was 89, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed this time <laughs> silently. I don't know if you can do that. Can you laugh silently? Can anyone hear? You kind of smile, right? And so when she over she overhears God telling Abraham, Sarah's going to have a kid next, next, next year. She left silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? What was she talking about? Well, for you to have a kid, you know what you have to do, right? Husband and wife. And so she said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband is 10 years older than me. He's also so old. <laughs> So she's thinking, that's why she had a grin on her face, right? How can I still enjoy such pleasure? And so she gave a silent laugh. Maybe she was doubting this was actually going to be fulfilled. We are old folk. And so she began to entertain perhaps some doubts in her mind. And so when she laughed to herself, when she said these things to herself, what happened? Genesis 18, 13 and 14. Then the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really have a child when I'm so old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? As I said, nine months from now, I will return. Sarah will have a son. Apparently, God was also listening to Sarah having a conversation with herself, right? See, we need to understand, brothers and sisters in the faith, God listens to what we say, right? Everything we do, God knows. God can even listen to our thoughts. This is why if we're going to doubt God, if we're going to entertain doubts in our minds and in our hearts, might as well come clean to God, right? Tell God, Lord God, I have these doubts. Because you can't hide that from Him. Why not? What's the proof? Let's read Genesis 18, verse 15. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. <laughs> you can't hide from God, right? God knows. And so why try denying it? Why try concealing your sin? Confess our sins to God, including the doubts in our minds. Lord God, I really... I don't really know how this is possible, Lord. 
because I'm 89, my husband is 99. Have you seen him? How he looks like right now? He doesn't look too strong. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you can express your doubts to God. Have a conversation with him. Do not hide anything from God. God knows what is happening in our life. And God's message to all of us is, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? What's the answer, brethren? No. God can do anything and everything with God. Nothing is possible. Do not measure. Do not measure whatever problem you're facing using the capabilities of human beings because we have God on our side. And because God is with us, no matter how impossible that problem is, it is not a problem at all with our almighty God. And so God would fulfill his promise as we know. So when they were about to leave, what happens next? Genesis 18, 16 to 18. Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to spend to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. So God is having a conversation with his angels, the other two who were with him. Should I hide my plan from Abraham? The Lord asked. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And so as they were about to leave, they looked out towards Sodom. Remember Sodom? Was that a good place or a bad place? Yeah, it's a pretty bad place, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. We know all about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And so before they would head out to Sodom, because they heard some rumblings in Sodom about a lot of wickedness, God says to his angel, should I hide my plan from Abraham? What was this plan? Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. God made a covenant with Abraham, right? And he also expanded his covenant to include a spiritual relationship with himself. However, for this to take place, the everlasting covenant God spoke of in Genesis 17, for this to be fulfilled, there was something, something that Abraham had to do. Do you want to know what it is? This was the reason why he was chosen. What was that? This is the second area of ministry. Let's read Genesis 18, verse 19. I have chosen him, Abraham, so that, what does it say? He will direct his children and his family after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. In this way, I, the Lord, will do what I have promised Abraham. So the promise of God to Abraham was contingent upon Abraham obeying the purpose of his calling, the purpose of his choosing. What was that? That he will direct his children and his family. You see, God, God, to God, family is valuable. This is why the parents who are here the parents who were listening to this um, presentation today, let us take heed of this. We have the responsibility to direct our children, to direct our spouse, our family, to keep the way of the Lord. Do you know why? I don't know. 
but you, we will eventually see this. But the tendency is this. God's people, they tend to forget God and fall to apostasy by the third generation. It seems that for every generation, there's a drop-off in the level of faith. God does not want that. What God wants is for us to grow in faith, not to drop off in faith, but what he sees all the time from the time of the flood. After the first, second, third generation, what happens? The people kind of fall away from the faith. It happened during the days of Noah. It also happened during the days of Moses. And so what God wants is for us, for us to make sure we direct our children and our family, lead them to keep the way of the Lord. Next slide, please. So we have two, uh, two areas of ministry. Number one, worshiping and serving God. Number two, leading our family in the way of the Lord. You know why this is important to God? How can we do that? How can we lead our family uh, in the way of the Lord? Malachi chapter 2, 13 and 14. This is another thing you do. You drown. The Lord's altar with tears, weeping and wailing because he no longer accepts the offerings you bring him. Let's pause there for a while. Does this sound familiar? Right? They weep, they cry with tears, they drown the Lord's altar with their tears because they're crying since they, God no longer accepts the offerings that they bring him. And God tells his people, this is the reason why. Verse 14, you ask why he no longer accepts them. It is because he knows you have broken your promise to the wife you married when you were young. She was your partner, and you have broken your promise to her, although you promised before God that you would be faithful to her. According to scriptures, how can we lead our family in the way of the Lord? The Bible says by being faithful to our spouse. Because when the husband and wife have a good relationship, it brings honor to our almighty God. What should we never do? We should never be unfaithful to our spouse. That is against the will of God. And it ruins our testimony for the family of God. This is what God is concerned about. The family of the members of the church of Christ. We, the very small remnant, God is concerned about our family, our spouse, our children. We need to take care of them. We need to do our best to make sure they follow the way of the Lord. It begins with the relationship between husband and wife. Why is that so important? Malachi 2, 15 and 16. Didn't God make you one body and spirit with her? What was his purpose in this? Here it is. It was that you should have children who are truly God's people. So make sure that none of you breaks his promise to his wife. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate it when one of you does such a cruel thing to his wife. Make sure that you do not break your promise to be faithful to your wife. Why does God want the spouse to make sure the relationship is faithful and loving? Because it affects the children. What is the purpose of God? What does God want to see from two faithful parents? That they will bring up children who are truly God's people. This is why one of the focus of our ministries is to make sure the family is faithful and loyal to who? Our Almighty God. This is why in our worship service during the weekend, the culture, Christian culture that we're going to study is about family. Family. How can, 
how we can be a Christian family according to the eyes of our almighty God. Okay, uh, what happens next? Let's read the book of Genesis 18, 20 to 22. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. And so God knows about what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah because God knows all things, right? And so what does he do? He sends out two of his angels, right? God stays behind and has a conversation with Abraham. And so what does God say to Abraham? God says to him that in Sodom and Gomorrah, their sin, their wickedness have become what? Flagrant. What does that mean? Flagrant. Uh, flagrant. What does that mean? Flagrant. Obvious. Very serious. That's it. Very serious sins before the eyes of God. And so God had to do something about that, right? Why? What does God want to show Abraham that we need to also understand and learn? Let's read Genesis 18, 23 to 26. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Let's pause there for a while. God plans to completely destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But here's Abraham. Abraham knows what God is going to do because God tells him what he's going to do. This is why he sent the two angels, right? To destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's Abraham. Look at the heart of Abraham, right? He's pretty courageous for doing this. I probably would not do this. Look at Abraham. Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why? You would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Wow. What can we learn about God there? Can we say about God, obey and never complain? <laughs> can we say that? Obey and never complain. Uh, this is God we're talking about, right? Here's Abraham. And he's interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah before God. He's a brave guy, isn't he? He says to Abraham, or he says to God, if you see, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? And what does God say? God says, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. 50. Can you imagine? Just 50. What is God looking for? Just a small remnant, right? 50 who are righteous, he will spare the entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's one thing we need to learn, though, about this. That righteousness, is that important to God? Oh, yeah. That's very Important to God. He looked at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, if he can find just 50 
who were righteous, who were righteous, he will spare the entire city for their sake. That's the value of those who are righteous before God. It also affects those who are around them, right? And so we need to look at the uh, three areas of our ministry. Number one, worshiping and serving God, right? Number two, leading our family in the way of the Lord. Number three, shine in righteousness. We cannot emphasize that enough. That's the work of the very small remnant. We need to uphold. We need to proclaim. We need to live out righteousness, the righteousness of our almighty God. How important is righteousness to God? Let's go see in the next passage, Genesis 18, 27 to 33. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. So he recognizes he is just dust and ashes, and he's speaking to the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. Suppose there are 45. <laughs> Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy if I find 45 righteous people there. You see how compassionate God is? 45, okay, I will not destroy the city. Then Abraham, he's very bold. <laughs> I will not do what Abraham is doing here. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. <laughs> and the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord. Abraham pleaded, let me speak. He's not content. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. You know why it keeps getting lower and lower? Because Abraham has been to Sodom. He knows what it's like there, right? So, you know, I know Lot is there. I don't want him to get burned. And let's make it 30. Suppose 30. What does God let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, well, it's not done. Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. Then the Lord replied, and I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. <laughs> Suppose only 10, only 10 out of all the population of Sodom, only 10 are found there who are righteous. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. I wonder what God was thinking about. <laughs> only 10. But guess what? Did God find 10? No, he did not even find one. This is why what would eventually happen to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was destroyed. He could not find one. All he was looking for was 10. But he could not find even one. And so God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, brethren, God is a compassionate God, right? He's a long-suffering God, very reasonable, but he's also a just God. God will not destroy Sodom if there are righteous people there because he doesn't want to destroy the righteous one, right? So when judgment day comes, when Christ is to be sent, 
God knows when. On that day of judgment, how will God protect the righteous? So that when the wicked are destroyed, the righteous remain alive. What does God do with the righteous? Let's read the book of Psalms 4 verse 3. Because God is a just God. Know that the Lord has, what does it say? Set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. You see, God has this policy of setting apart the people who are righteous and godly for himself. And so before destroying the world, what will God do? He will set apart for himself those who are to be saved. How does God set them apart during the Christian era? Let's read the book of Acts chapter 247, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. How does God set apart the people who will be saved on judgment day so that they will not perish when the world is destroyed because of their wickedness? The Bible says God will add them where? To the church. Take note, who adds people to the church? God does. Can God add anyone he wants into the church? Yes. What if there are people that God adds to the church that we have no idea about? Are we going to complain to God? Lord, why did you add him to the church? He did not finish the 28 lessons. Are we going to say that to God? No. God can add anyone he wants to the church. That's his prerogative. It is his privilege. He is the sovereign God. That's what God does. He has a policy. Those who are going to be saved, he adds to the church. However, what does God expect from the church? So that they will be worthy of salvation. Let's read the book of Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That's the plan. The church is to be presented on the day of judgment as a glorious church. When it says glorious church, what does that mean? Lots of buildings, shiny buildings. Is that what it means? Lots of money. All the glitter of Hollywood. Is that what it means? What does it mean when the Bible says a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, holy, and without fault? This is why, brethren, we cannot discount the value of righteousness and holiness. The church is to be presented, a glorious church, holy and without fault. How can the church be holy and without fault? Apostle Paul mentions two things here. I don't know if you can see it in the, in the passage. What needs to happen to the church so that it can be presented holy, without blemish, without fault on the day of judgment? The Bible says, Christ gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Was that accomplished? Yes. Christ died on the cross, and because of his shed blood, we have been cleansed for sins. But is that enough? Not yet. What else? Washed by the cleansing of God's word. You see, Christ purchased for us our holiness. We have the responsibility of maintaining that holiness. Did you get that? How so? By keeping the word of God. This is why membership inside the church is not a license to commit sin. But it is a holy responsibility and duty to uphold righteousness by obeying the words of our almighty God. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on, especially 
today. This is why to get this done, what does God expect from the daughter of Zion in these last days? Isaiah 62 verse 11, the Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes, see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Brethren, this is a prophecy we know about, right? The daughter of Zion during a time called ends of the earth. Who is the daughter of Zion? That's the church of Christ that emerged in the Philippines in 1914. What does God expect from the daughter of Zion during the end times? The Bible says her duty is to shine in righteousness so that her salvation will burn like a blazing torch. That's the purpose of the daughter of Zion. But was this fulfilled by the daughter of Zion during these end times? What is your answer? Was that fulfilled? Unfortunately not. What happened instead? Isaiah 1, 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless the Lord of hosts have, had left to us a very small remnant. We should have become like Sodom. We should have been made like Gomorrah. What happened again to Sodom and Gomorrah? Destroyed. Why? Because God could not find not even one. Everyone was flagrantly wicked in the eyes of our Almighty God. So he set apart this time the daughter of Zion. Instead of being a city of righteousness, they became more and more like what? Sodom and Gomorrah. But what did God do? He set apart. He set apart a very small remnant. And so what do you think the function, the work of the very small remnant is? Not to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember God's conversation with Abraham? Next slide, right? Abraham said, if you find 45, was there 45 righteous? No. Or is there 40 righteous? No. 30 righteous? No. 20 righteous? No. 10? Not even one. That was the condition of Sodom and Gomorrah. However, the very small remnant, it should be different from this. I wonder... If God were to look at us and ask, is there 10? <laughs> is there 10 among us who qualify in the eyes of God as righteous? I don't know. God is the one who will judge, right? But what is he looking for? He wants the very small remnant to be different from Sodom and Gomorrah. Us should be not just 20, not just 30, not just 45, not just 50. Because we are to shine in what again? Righteousness. Why? Next slide. Because in Isaiah 126, we are to be called a city of righteousness. A righteous city. What will it take for us to be able to do this? In the final passage of our studies, the book of Philippians chapter 2, 15 to 16. So that you may be innocent and pure as God's perfect children who live in the world of corrupt and sinful people. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. If you do so, I shall have reason to be proud of you on the day of Christ because it will show that all my effort and work have not been wasted. Our duty as the very small remnant 
is to shine brightly in righteousness. How? How can we do that? By living a life that is pure and innocent. In other words, we should not follow the standards of the world. Nowadays, if you go to high school, junior high school, it's a very different world. Back then, when I was growing up, the kids never talked about sex. Right? I don't know. When I was in, when I took elementary school, junior high school, high school, back then, that was a taboo subject. Nowadays, you have different variations of the gender of sex, right? A lot of different perversions. So many things before that was shocking on the newspaper. Nowadays, it's commonplace in the high school playgrounds. It's amazing. The world is becoming more and more different from what God wants it to be. But we, we have to be different. We have to be set apart. We need to live our lives as innocent and pure as God's perfect children so that we can shine like stars lighting up the sky. And when Christ returns, there's reason for the messengers of God to be proud of the work that they did. And so brethren, the work that we need to do, let's focus on worshiping and serving God, number one. Number two, let's focus on our families, our children. And number three, let us promote, let us shout and shine righteousness of our almighty God. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Almighty and everlasting Father, thank you so much, O God, for your blessings for showing to us your will and plan, your expectations for your people. Thank you for setting us apart. Thank you for choosing us to be included among the very small remnant who will do the work of righteousness, that you will be pleased with each one of us. We know, Father, because we live in a wicked and influential world, that we need your help. We can do nothing on our own. We rely on your strength every day. Have mercy upon all of us. Bless our respective spouse. Bless our children. Bless our families. May all of us be included, O oh God, among those who will be saved. We know you are a compassionate Father, but we also know you are a just and righteous God. And so while we still have our life, may we not waste the opportunity to repent and to renew our lives that we can be worthy before your holy presence, our Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray to you. We need your help. You washed us by means of your blood that was spilled on the cross for our sins. Help us to do our part now, to obey the words of our God, that we can remain holy in the eyes of our Father, to receive the promise of life everlasting. Bless everyone here, O God. Bless those who continue to study your words. May we not just learn about your teachings. May we carry them out in our daily life. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have blessed your people throughout the world. We ask and beg all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.